You're listening to a podcast from the Norwich Showcase, a new international platform for British writing and literature development taking place here in Norwich from Friday 9th of March through to the 13th. Brought to you by Writers' Centre Norwich and British Council. You can find out more about the Norwich Showcase at writerscentrenorwich.org.uk. This podcast is from the New Fictions event on day four of the showcase and features author Yvette Edwards reading from her debut novel, A Cupboard Full of Coats. This is um, the first point in the book, which we go back um, to the past 14 years earlier and see the events that kind of led up to the murder of her mum and what really happened. <clears throat> I waited for Sam on the corner of Amherst Road and Dalston Lane, outside Eastern Chemists at the bottom of Pembury Estate, where she lived with her family, the whole of the Adebayo posse, her mum, her dad, herself and three younger brothers. Her family was the complete opposite of mine, where it was just me and my mum, and everything was quiet and in its place. Her dad was kind of okay, but Mrs Adebayo could be a bit weird. Because of her, I didn't visit her much. On the occasions I had, Sam's house was as noisy and crazy and manic as the school dining hall at lunchtime. Compared to hers, my house was like a morgue. From where I stood, I could see through the courtyard, almost to the middle of the estate. The Adebayos lived in the block right at the top, overlooking the park. And there were several exits between that end and where I stood, but I knew Sam would come out this way because she always did. This was where I met her every morning, a short walk down from where I lived and across the road from Hackneydown Station, where we caught the 48 bus to take us to school. I was digi because it was a Monday, and on Mondays after school we had netball practice. About half the time Sam forgot her hip. She was pretty scatty, forever leaving something behind or just forgetting things completely. I was digi because I didn't want to end up at practice on my own, but the minute I saw her, I relaxed. She was running from the moment she came into view, racing through the estate in the disgusting maroon uniform we hated so much, satchel flapping, laser and cardigan undone, the carrier bag with her kit in it held between her teeth, her hands busy pulling her auburn hair into a ponytail, late as usual, and still not finished dressing. Now you've got to stop letting your mum do your hair, man, she said, as she reached me, slowing down to a walk, which I picked up alongside her. My mum had washed my hair the day before and spent the evening cane-rowing it into fine plaits that ran from my forehead to the nape of my neck, like Leroy's from pain. I'll take them out for you at first break, she said. Up until then, I'd quite liked the style, but if Sam thought it was dry, it would have to go. Okay. And your biology, she asked. I nodded. Man, I can't do shit at home. You don't know how lucky you are. Once I've finished my O-levels, I'm out of here. My family's seriously fucked. We were five months away from our O-levels and the end of our school days forever. It's kind of strange knowing that, like the end of school was supposed to mark the beginning of being grown up. I didn't feel grown up at all. I didn't have the first idea about what I wanted to do with my life. The only thing I was good at was writing stories, but that wasn't much use when you were trying to work out what kind of career you could end up with. That was another difference between me and Sam. She always knew exactly what she wanted to do, and no matter what, she went ahead and did it. Her mother was English and her father Ghanaian, and she was totally against mixed relationships. She was sick of her parents arguing all the time, sick of being in a two-bedroom flat and not having her own bedroom, sick of being the only girl in her family and having to slave behind her brothers, and sick of being told what to do. 
As soon as our exams were over, she was leaving home. You should have come over at the garages on Friday, she said. She was talking about the car park under the tower blocks on Nightingale Estate. There are always loads of guys hanging out from the estate down there, renters mostly, trying to get the girls who pass through into the empty carriages on the one-to-one. I didn't like the scene as much as she did, and it wasn't just because all the boys seemed so immature, or even because the second they laid eyes on Sam, it was like I'd suddenly become invisible. I had a deeper, personal problem. French kissing. I'd never done it. You couldn't count the hours spent practicing on oranges, cutting them in half, and gouging out the fruit using only my tongue. Good French kisses left the pith clean. I was nowhere near that level of proficiency. Usually, I just ended up with an exhausted tongue and saw bits at the corner of my mouth so that when the juice touched them, it stung like hell. I was terrified my inexperience would make me look ridiculous, and over the garages, that fear made me mute. Was it good? It was wicked. I got asked out again. Who by? Donovan, in it. Jake, if I tell you something, you've got to promise me you never tell anyone as long as you live. She was so dramatic. Like I'd tell anyone, I said, rolling my eyes. You have to promise me, swear on your mother's life. I swear, okay? I saw his wood. Liar! I shrieked. I swear, I don't believe you. You think I'd lie about something like that? How did you see it? He took it out and wanted me to touch it. Oh, gross! I said no, of course, she added, but it sounded kind of lame, like maybe she'd only added that last bit just because of how I'd reacted, and I wondered whether she really had touched it. Donovan was in the sixth form at Homerton House. He'd been asking her out for months, and the way she told it was like it was some renter and she just wasn't interested. I knew she had some interest because I'd caught them kissing once, one evening when all the kids were playing out on my road, and we decided to play knockdown ginger with the old fogies who lived on the first floor in Bodley Mansions. But when we took the corner into the dark stairwell, Donovan and Sam were already there, doing some serious kissing. She looked well shamed when she saw me, and they both tried to play it like nothing had been going on, but it was later caught them cold. So what did it look like? I asked. Like a saveloy when the skin's peeled back. Ugh, I am never going to eat saveloy ever again, I said. When I'm older, I'm only going to go out with white guys, Sam said. Why? Coloured people are more sex than white people. That's what my mum says. That's why they shouldn't mix. This was news to me, and I was quiet as I digested it. Because she had one black and one white parent, Sam was an expert on everything to do with colour. <laughs> I was lucky to have her as a friend. I learned a lot from her. The bus stop was crowded with people, including two African boys from Shoreditch School, who were usually at this stop in the mornings. One of them fancied Sam. He tried to pretend he never saw us, but he was just styling it. His friend gave him a butt with his elbow in the stomach and then started to laugh. Stupid bulls, Sam said, loud enough for them to hear. She called all Africans bulls, even her dad. And turning to me, she whispered, Can you imagine me and one of those bubbles doing the nasty? For an instant, my imagination ran riot. I stared at Sam. She stared at me. There was silence, and we both cracked up. I started taking the cameras out during biology, and by first break, they were gone. I wanted you to look like Farrah, but it ain't happening, man, Sam said, as she teased my hair into large curls that fell out as soon as she let them go. According to her, Farrah Fawcett Majors wasn't just the best looking of the three Charlie's angels, she was the most beautiful woman in the world. She was the woman who should have played Lois Lane opposite Christopher Reeve, the world's best looking man. <laughs> we were in the girls' toilets, it stunk of wee and cigarettes and the manky smell that was always in the changing room after we'd finished pee. My hair was frizzed from being plaited straight after being washed, the electrocuted look. I hated it when it was like this. I need a hairband, man, I 
said, telling me one thing I do know, you can't do fire with a bushy afro. She pulled an elastic band off her wrist, whereas she always had a stash of them, and I took it, pulling my hair back into one, smoothing it down as much as possible. You better put some water on that, Kizzy, she said. I did that, splashed water on it, but without looking at her. Sometimes her comments stung, but it wasn't cool to show it. Kizzy was the daughter of Kunta Kinte, the African slave in roots. Sam pushed her face close to the mirror, examining it. Shit, Jay, look at this, she said. I blanked her. I think I'm getting a zip right on the end of my nose as well. Sam had a permanent patch of scarlet mounds on her forehead. The spots that came up on her were always red. Her skin was very pale, whiter than most of the white people I knew, and she had hazel eyes that were just beautiful, and thick hair that was a kind of auburn now, but in the summer bleached in the sun, so she had blonde highlights at the front and around the edges, and it was kink-free like her mum's. They were a strange bunch here in her family. They all had the same mum and dad, yet none of them looked alike. Only one of her brothers looked proper half-caste. The middle one was nearly as black as me, and the youngest one was as pale as Sam was, but he had red bushy negro hair. It was like every child in that family had had their parents' jeans put into a Coke bottle, shook up, and then a, a separate burst of spray had been collected to make each of them. They were as different from each other as a litter of kittens. I'm going to squeeze it, she said, and she did. A few moments later, the site where the teeny pimple had been was ablaze and swollen, as if someone had boxed her. Do you know how to tell for sure if someone's done the nasty? I shook my head without looking at her, and she was quiet for a moment, mocking me. But my whole family's doing my head, and at least you know who you are and where you're coming from. A whole of something, not friggin' half of nothing. I swear I'm never gonna marry any boy who ain't coming from where I'm coming and put this shit on my kids. Her face had gone red like she was blushing badly. The way she always looked when she was about to cry. The silence was broken by the bell. The break was over. I took one last look at my hair, picked up my bag from the floor, and turned to face her. How can you tell? I asked. She smiled, blinking quickly, relieved. She linked her arm through mine, and she hitched her satchel back up onto her shoulder. Though it was only us in the toilets, she glanced around like there might be crowds hiding in the cubicles, air-wigging. Her voice was low. She began to explain. We counted the virgins at lunchtime, not just the mumbling up pupils and the whole of the teachers, but the ones walking around the streets too. We saw an old lady on a zimmer who was about 90 million years old and still hadn't done it, and I cracked up so badly I actually wet myself a bit. It was so simple, I couldn't believe I'd only just found out how to tell. Virgins walked with their toes pointing inwards, and those who had done the nasty when they walked, their toes pointed out. On our way into the chip shop at Hagston Square, we passed a group of seven or eight guys from Shoreditch School acting like they thought they were sweet boys. We queued for ages and took turns drowning our chips with salt and onion vinegar and carefully tore the bottom off the chip cone so the warm vinegar, instead of ending up dripping out slowly all over our clothes, could just, just trickle out the one time and done. The Shoreditch Massive was still loitering a few shops down and laughing our heads off we concocted a plan. We came out of the shop and walked past them with our toes pointing so far outwards we were waddling like a pair of penguins. When we were far enough away to outrun them, Sam turned around and shouted, Renters! And we legged it. I felt heady with knowledge, the power to look at total strangers and know for sure what they'd been up to. I even found myself studying my own feet as I walked and Sam's when she wasn't looking. My feet seemed to naturally point inwards, which made sense, but Sam's didn't. Her feet were more or less parallel with each step, and I wondered what exactly that meant. At home time, we discovered netball practice had been cancelled. 
Sam wanted to go over to Nightingale Estate and mess around in the garages for a while because her mum wasn't expecting her home for a couple of hours. I was hungry and couldn't be bothered. Unlike me, though, Sam didn't leave the company. Once she'd made her mind up about what she was going to do, that was it. I said I was going to go home and she decided to go over to the garages on her own. We spent the remainder of our money, what should have been our bus fare home, on rhubarb and custards and pink bonbons, so we had no choice on the journey home but to trod. Nightingale Estate was just on the other side of the park from the top of my road, so Sam walked with me to my house. We joked around for about ten minutes outside, and she carried on, and I watched her skipping till she disappeared out of sight at the, end of the, at the top of the road. I let myself in with the key I wore on a shoelace around my neck, having lost the last three keys my mum had given me. Inside, the house was warm and steamy with rice and peas and the smell of curry recently cooked, which was good. I dropped my bags on the floor inside the passage, opened the door to the sitting room and walked in. My mum was on the settee with a man I'd never seen before. They were kissing so hard that it was a moment before they even realised I was there. I took in a zillion things in a second. His wet red tongue poking into her open mouth, her blouse undone, his hand inside it, his flies undone, my mum's hand inside the gaping hole there, moving. Sounds, I think from her, like someone who'd been gagged, still trying to speak. And her hair, it looked as if she'd been in a fight or something. Of the three of us, I don't know who was the most shocked. She leapt up and turned around so her back was to me, and I could tell she was buttoning up her blouse. The man kind of leaned forward with his arms crossed over each other on his lap, as if that was supposed to make me believe his flies were done up now. <laughs> You're home early, my mum said over her shoulder. It wasn't a question she was asking, it was an accusation. It all got cancelled, I said. She turned around and her skirt wasn't tucked in properly and she'd left a button undone, just above the waistband of a short black skirt that I'd only ever seen her in once at the shop after she'd tried it on. She'd asked me what I thought and we agreed it was too short to wear on the streets. She must have gone back without me and bought it. She hadn't needed to keep it secret and the fact that she had though it was a small thing and silly, made me feel hurt. She smoothed down her hair like that smoothed everything over and said to me, as if it were a perfectly normal occasion, and that man had just knocked at the door, that someone I'd like you to meet. This is Uncle Berus. When I looked at him, he was staring down at the floor, and he nodded his head at me in a quick flip, smiling in the foolish way the kids in my class did after they put their hand up to answer a question, got picked and gave the wrong answer. I looked at my mother, she was wringing her hands together now and smiling at me in a whatever you do, don't make a fuss kind of way. Looking at her made me feel like I'd shrunk and I realised I hadn't, it was her that had grown. I looked down at her feet, she was wearing red clogs with the highest heels I'd ever seen her in. And I tried really hard not to notice, but it was just blatant that while her heels were neatly together, her toes were definitely pointing out. <laughs> been listening to a podcast from the Norwich Showcase. More readings from the Showcase can be found on both the British Council and Writers' Centre Norwich websites.